0: Welcome to the Leading Real Change podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, an expert in workplace culture change. From my unique background in behavior science, public health, and community advocacy, I help corporate leaders with evidence-based individual team and organizational change to create thriving workplace cultures for all. In the Leading Real Change podcast, I interview dedicated and passionate change makers about their careers, how they lead change and what leaders can do today to make a difference, to build healthy, inclusive workplace cultures for all. I'm excited to share these examples of real workplace change with you. You'll learn about effective strategies that are working and how to overcome real barriers to change that challenge us every day I hope you'll feel inspired and more confident to keep leading change in your workplace. Please share this podcast with other HR, DEI or ERG leaders who you know are working hard, but are struggling to have an impact and need more support to effectively create a thriving workplace culture for all today.
1: My name is Helen Lee Cup, and I'm one of the founders of the Future Forum, which is a think tank that's launched by Slack, and our founding partners, Boston Consulting Group, Miller Knoll, and Management Leadership for Tomorrow. And I've been with Slack for over six and a half years now, and this has been a really fun journey with Future Forum. And I am the author of the book called How the Future Works, which is about leading flexible teams to do the best work of their lives. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about it when we dive into flexibility and hybrid and all of that. But I also like to usually tell people that I am a mom of two kids under three. So in the thick of it with all things flu season, child care, all the things, but they are wonderful inspirations for my work as well.
0: Great. Thank you so much for those details. And I'm so excited to talk to you today because your book has just been such a fantastic example of creating systems change, really changing how we work and changing the systems that define how we work. So I'm so excited to get into that. But let's start with your personal journey, where you came from to then start Future Forum. Yeah. It's been an interesting journey
1: because there's a story that I like to tell just about me being a leader, an introvert, a working mom. And the thing I like to say is that I consider myself pretty successful, like leader an organization, wrote a book, but The reality is I've had to work really hard to get here. And when I say that, I'm not referring to all the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears that go into driving business outcomes. I talk a lot about all of the other work that I have had to do, putting on my armor every single day to just be more outgoing, be louder, be more extroverted, be more aggressive, So many things that just didn't feel very me or very natural and I don't think I realized how tired I was of doing all of that extra work of putting on that armor until quite honestly COVID hit and then we were all working from home and we were all working in ways where I didn't need to be so loud to get my voice heard. I didn't need to be so aggressive when we talk about later how do you solicit more ideas from more people and bring more voices to the table without having them to jump in and be aggressive and be the squeaky wheel. And I also just realized I didn't have to feel like I needed to be at every happy hour just to connect and network. When I knew that I wanted to be here to pick up my kids from daycare. And that's Usually, way earlier than like a typical happy hour event. And so, a lot of you know why this journey with Future Forum and this book has been not just so important as I think about my role as a leader and manager and the kind of team that I want to create and the environment I want to create. A lot of it stems from my own experience of not feeling like work was built for someone like me, not feeling like I had the space to do and bring my best ideas and best self to the table. And I think that a lot of us are missing out when our people aren't able to do that. And three years ago, I think we just accepted this is how things always was and always will be. And The biggest opportunity in my mind and the reason why we've started this work with Future Forum and the book that we wrote is because it's such a huge opportunity, not just to retrofit work into virtual, but to actually take this time to redesign work and how we work together from the ground up.
0: I absolutely love that. I love that sense that again we're missing out on strengths of our employees when we just have this one size fits all how you turn up at work and i often talk about that that some of the things that get in your way that can cause burnout is for example if you're caring and collaborative but yet because if you're an overgiver and a people pleaser that can lead to burnout but at the same time it's like those are amazing characteristics that if we can leverage them in the right way if you can find a company that turns that into one of their strengths. I think that's just so important. We all have different strengths and one size of what leadership is or what work is just doesn't make sense because there's so much variety that we're missing out on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I say a lot is one size fits no one. And that is so true when we think about work but in particular, when we think about how to make flexible work successful.
0: So yeah, let's talk about that. I don't think everybody would necessarily put this connection together with flexibility being very important for burnout. But actually, it's definitely one of the core principles that I try and convey to companies. Focus, flexibility, fairness, and purpose are all the things I say that we need to be able to provide. But flexibility is such an important one because of when we don't have autonomy And then that lack of autonomy is something that can lead to burnout. But tell me more about how you have really put together flexibility and burnout and equity and the many things that you found it's related to.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with you, what you just said around flexibility and burnout. So Future Forum, we study the future of work. We survey over 10,000 desk workers all around the world every single quarter. And in our most recent release back in October of 2022, we actually found that workers with schedule flexibility are 26% less likely to be burned out. And they report more than five times greater ability to manage work-related stress. And I think what's important is whenever I talk about flexibility, I think that a lot of people jump to, oh, you mean work from home. You mean flexible location or work from anywhere. And our research, what has been really interesting is that location flexibility is important. A lot of people want that, 80% of those surveyed. But almost everyone wants schedule flexibility. And that, I think, is where flexibility ties so directly to burnout. Because when you think about what schedule flexibility means, the opposite of having schedule flexibility is this. Think about just how many of us, me included, on certain days have calendars that are filled back to back with meetings from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And I don't care if that's over Zoom or in the office or on the beach on the coast, that actually you don't feel like you have control over your day and you're just moving from one thing to the next without having really any time to stop, to think, to pause. And schedule flexibility is people asking for, more of their time back, whether that is to do focused time and focused thinking and work, which leads us to be more creative and generate more innovative ideas to start with. Or it's just freedom and autonomy to say, you know what, right now, right now, I need to just go out, take a walk with my dog, clear my head and come back to work. And that's okay. And we don't need to feel like we need to micromanage our people and that they have this choice to do the things that they need to be most effective during the workday. And so I think part of the discussion that I often push leaders to think about is to broaden the notion of flexibility as just work from home, to think more about schedule flexibility and how to enable that and how to build more of that sort of agency but trust on the team.
0: And I think that was such a basic insight that surprised me too when in the book you revealed that that location isn't the primary driver, but yet there is this real disconnect between the C-suite and employees around location. So I keep seeing it in so many areas, this disconnect between what the C-suite is thinking and wanting and doing versus how it's being received. 87% of workers believe they're being productive at work, but only 12% of CEOs believe they're being productive. The same with wellness and burnout, that CEOs think they're providing good wellness support for employees, but employees aren't perceiving it in that way. And then also the who wants to be back in the office, the majority being the C-suite versus employees. So there's this amazing disconnect that I'm seeing in so many areas. And so I think that's one really challenging when you're trying to create systems change that we're going to really delve into and think about. But I also think it, again, comes back to this kind of issue is the homogeneity of the C-suite being primarily white men and how they experience burnout is quite different from how a marginalized, devalued worker without any autonomy is experiencing burnout. So I really thought the basis of your book in terms of where equity is a guiding principle was so important, but I feel like that is absent from so much, especially around remote work in particular, that hasn't been a grounding principle. Yeah. And it's so shocking sometimes when I
1: have conversations with leaders and we aren't starting from that place. But on the flip side, I think that there are a lot of conversations I have that are more optimistic where when I bring up some of the findings that we've seen around equity and level playing field and sense of belonging, especially for people of color and for women and for caregivers. There are a lot of light bulbs happening in the room in my conversations where leaders are like, oh, okay, so then what? But to your point, Jacqueline, that disconnect is real. And we see it when we look at media and some of the statements that executives are putting out there around return to office or... The opinions about flexibility and flexible work in general. And part of that is if you have such a homogeneous C-suite, it's so much more important to spend the time listening to the employees. What do they need? What are their preferences? And how to go deeper in understanding why that's so and how to enable that. And I think not this last research release, but the one before that, We talk a lot more about that disconnect, and it's still such a shocking stat when I go back and look at how many executives were saying that more than 50% of executives were saying that they were building some of their future of work policies without input from the rest of the organization. Like, of course that disconnect is going to happen. If you aren't listening to your people, then you're creating something that works for a very select Group of leaders who are making those decisions, and that group looks very different than the rest of the employee base. But to double click on that, I think one of the questions I often get asked is what's most surprising from your work and Future Forum and your research? And I think that there are more and more believers that flexibility does help improve productivity, especially when people have more time to focus. But there are a lot of people who say, I need the office to create connection and belonging. And actually what we see in the data is that's not true. Flexible teams have a higher sense of belonging than those working in the office full-time. And that's actually greater for, like I said, people of color, for women, and for caregivers. For example, we saw over the last year a 30% increase in sense of belonging for Black employees, 11% increase for Hispanic and Latinx employees, whereas for white employees in comparison, that stayed relatively flat. And so that's been a really interesting thing for us to dive into and say, how does flexible work not just improve sense of belonging, but actually when we talk to people anecdotally, It's really about feeling like the playing field is a lot more level and how to think about that when we think about systems change for as more and more companies and leaders settle into a more hybrid way of working.
0: And I think that's so important in terms of if you imagine that sort of Venn diagram and you put flexibility in the middle, we know employers are worried about DEI, we know they're worried about wellness. We know they're worried about productivity and turnover. And it's, yes, focus on this thing as part of the root cause of the problem. And all these other areas will be improved as a consequence. So I love that you can demonstrate that to employers that you know the this sort of foundational focus on flexibility is a solution to so many of the problems that they're trying to solve with other things they're trying to solve with perks or with d- different benefits etc without actually starting from the most important benefit which is flexibility <laughs> Yeah. It's like treating
1: the symptoms, not the root cause with perks and benefits. And I a hundred percent agree with that where I'm just like so many things come back to, and why I talk about redesign is really saying this is foundational, right? If we go back to the basics of how people are working together and how you make it possible for them to do work in a more flexible way, how to be thoughtful about not Trying to mandate a one size fits all policy, you get all of these additional benefits, but it takes that upfront investment and work in really committing to redesign and experimenting with different ways. And in many ways, for executives, the thing I often to challenge them is you got to let go of control. You know, if you want flexible work to be successful. For all the reasons we've talked about, for burnout, for DEI, et cetera, you have to let teams in many ways decide what works for them and experiment. But we've developed such core and sometimes bad habits around work that we've leaned on as crutches. Office is one. The other thing that we lean on a lot is meetings meetings as a form of work. But if you think about that as one of the core units of things that we can redesign, one of the main things that I talk about when enabling schedule flexibility is just make meetings matter again. How do you use frameworks like, um, we use one on the team called the four Ds, where we only meet if we're here to discuss, debate, decide, or to develop our people. But if you aren't doing any of those things, like you don't need a meeting or you can find a way to share that information more asynchronously. And by doing so, you give people more freedom back in their day. But the side effect of that is maybe you're like me, a new mom at the time, and I have other things that I'm trying to balance in my day, nursing or pumping for my newborn baby, And I'm not going to be able to show up to every meeting. FaceTime was not going to work for me. But if I'm able to contribute in more asynchronous ways or find blocks of time where I can really commit to providing feedback without feeling like I, quote, unquote, need to be in the room where it happens, you can imagine how that really unlocks opportunities for people who are not traditionally in those rooms.
0: Exactly. What was the term you used? Oh, brain writing over brainstorming. Yeah. That's right. Brain writing. I love that concept. It, exactly. That you're actually getting people to contribute their ideas either in advance or afterwards, but without it being the verbal contribution. It's comments and documents, you know, bringing whole ideas, but you've been able to present them in a different way. And I think that's so important too, that we can have didactics and other things be asynchronous. But when we're working together, we're working on how do we collaborate? How do we develop skills? Or like you say, or the four Ds that you talk about, because that's what's so much more important in those times. So yeah, let's really dive into the book. And again, I think what's so hard for people to think about too, and especially I think about women listening to this is that unfortunately with the way we transitioned to remote work, which was reactively out of a crisis situation, there was no understanding or intent for the most part behind it. We hadn't been in this situation before. That's totally understandable. And so because of that outcome very much has been where proximity bias is and could continue to be a problem versus what you're saying. This is a fundamental part of how we work. And this requires thought, intention, and as you say, absolute redesign. And again, I understand people get very threatened by that because change, I can understand, it's scary and difficult. But at the same time, it's like, why would you half ask something? <laughs> That is all day long for so many people. Yes, in a crisis, do it how you have to, but then surely it's okay. Now going forward is the time that we can learn from what we've seen, which is what you and your team have done and now put principles into place about how to move forward. So I really love that and Yeah, please go in and dive right into all of that. (laughs)
1: Just on that note about how change can often be overwhelming. I hear this too. And one of our partners and the Future Forum said this once to me and I loved it. She was like, we forget that we've been doing a version of this for two and a half years. Just keep going. We're like halfway there. Just keep going. There are so many good things that we have learned from Not the perfect way of entering more flexible work, of course, but even just being forced into it, I think there are a lot of pockets across the organization where people have figured out some really interesting and new ways of working that are worth highlighting and saying, how can we do that more? Or where can we scale some of the things that certain teams are doing? And a lot of what we did in writing the book, How the Future Works, is actually pulling from A lot of the learnings that different organizations, including ours, had over the last two and a half years of working in a more flexible way. And so my hope for the book, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, is to go beyond just the data and the anecdotes and the hearsay about flexible work and really start to provide leaders a blueprint for getting started, a bit of a framework and playbook alongside specific and concrete tools, especially for managers, in starting to implement flexible work for their teams, questions to ask, discussions to spark, and ways to structure that redesign. And so if you dive into the book, actually, it starts from, there's seven steps. And I was mentioning before we started recording that they're in many ways highlighted in a linear order because For so much of flexible work to be successful, it really starts from leading by example and really being thoughtful and intentional at the very top. And so the book starts with grounding us in how to think about some of the principles for why flexible work Why flexibility for your organization and connecting a lot of the work to the purpose and thinking about some of those guardrails at the leadership level for situations where proximity bias might come up, because that is something that is top of mind for me. But for so many leaders that I talk to, they're like, how do we think about hybrid, but also not create a remote second class? So the book starts there at the very high level, but then gets to more of the specifics around, okay, if it's not one size fits all, how do I enable this within my organization? So then we talk about things like team level agreements and working through that with managers and organizations to have those conversations with your people around what is and isn't working for them and how to use things like that and those conversations to experiment and iterate on what that way of working looks like for you and your teams. And then pairing that at the very end around more of the systems, again, in thinking about how to make this long-term successful and shifting the thinking from things like measuring inputs to really measuring outcomes instead, and how do you train your managers to do more of that work, to shift that kind of focus? And so that's how the book is laid out, more of a playbook in many ways with the recognition that it is a starting point for so many leaders and their flexible journeys.
0: And I'm now remembering some of the main lessons I took out of it. But one thing I just wanted to share before I forgot was I've had colleagues starting new jobs. And so I recommended that they read the book so that they could go into this situation saying, okay, here's the things I'm looking for. I wonder if there are agreements in place. Are there rules about these things? And actually they've gone in and said, there's nothing there. Yet me as a new employee trying to fit into this system, it'd be so helpful if there was. In fact, straight away, they were able to take things to employers saying, hey, there's this toolkit and these agreements that would really help me understand this new organization. So I think that's so important for new employees to read the book and be thinking about that. But I think another huge grounding principle of how we work that you addressed in this book was presenteeism versus performance.
1: I'll just make a quick comment on the team level agreement, because I love that story. I love how it was not just helpful at the leadership level, but to individuals, because the thing that I say often about team level agreements and agreements generally is that there have always been norms around how people work. Um, and in the past, they may have just been invisible norms, right? They just were like, oh, yes, nine to five was an invisible norm. There was some expectations set. And that existed even before there was a way to document it. But the interesting thing about writing it down on Google Docs or a paper is that now you can actually say, does this work for us, us as a team? And invisible norms, like we just never questioned it. We're like, oh, the office, oh, nine to five, of course, like everyone does that. But the act of writing it down and having it open for discussion, I think creates actually more sense of belonging and more inclusion for people to say, actually, We're on the East Coast, that doesn't actually work for us because 5pm your time in the West Coast is 8pm our time. So let's think about what fits for the team as is. And I think that is really important, not just for making sure that everyone feels like they belong on the team and this works for them, but it's so tied to your original point around burnout right? What are the right boundaries to set as a team for how we work? That's a big piece of it.
0: Right. And those collaborative hours deciding those. But it really makes me think about that because again, a lot of what you're talking about is how do you actually write down the behaviors that we do? And it's making them apparent It's like taking values and that are operationalized by these norms, but actually making them behaviors that we want to agree to and go forward. And I think, again, that process of actually then revisiting them, because like you said, how do you get started? But it's not getting started. It's what do we de-implement? What do we agree on? There's so much that's actually already there, but that we don't realize that we've agreed to. And I think even just that whole process, as you're saying, on this topic of flexibility is a way to move forward. But I think it's relevant for so many topics in terms of, yeah, what are our agreements around well-being? What are our agreements around DEI? And what are actually the boundaries and the behaviors that we want to agree to?
1: Yeah. And those core collaboration hours ties, again, directly to... This notion in the past of presenteeism that without some of those norms and agreements written down and saying, oh, actually something that my team does and a lot of teams that I've spoken to now are adopting that notion of core collaboration hours, which are a subset of three to four hours in a day where we agree to be available and live for some of those meetings and discussion and debate time. And what that means is it's not nine to five, it's not eight hours. And more importantly, it's not 24-7, right? It's not saying, oh, I'm going to respond at any hour of the day now because people are working from different time zones. It's saying, here's the expectation that we're setting. And it's a different way of having that conversation about what matters on the team And if we aren't using hours worked as a measuring stick, which I think we are trying to move beyond if we're talking about schedule flexibility, then it's really starting to say, how do we actually measure performance and focus on our goals and our outcomes rather than how many hours are you online for or when are you in the office and when do you leave? I think it is switching it honestly is harder in many ways being able to just say i see you in the office so i believe that you're working is in many ways lazier management style than actually having to sit down and think about what are the goals i want this person to achieve or what are the goals i want to achieve as a team how to be really explicit about roles and responsibilities and who's making the decision who needs feedback way more intentionality in that other world. But I think that helps with combating feeling like we are only measured by how much face time we're putting in with the boss.
0: And interestingly, I was just interviewing a lady who was experiencing extreme burnout and had adrenal fatigue. And so she had to change her working hours and had to then help her team focus more because she was not going to be as, Available. And obviously, she'd been available so much that had burned her out. And the team became more productive because they had to decide what their priorities were versus, you know, let's just do everything and assume we're doing it all well, which we never are. So I think that is, it's such an important tool for people that are burning out, an important tool for people that say become a caregiver of a family member who's sick or children. We have less time. So let's use it more appropriately. Whereas at the moment, and again, Deloitte had a report saying this always on, always available culture, which the flexibility in the work has unfortunately also led us to this kind of byproducts in some ways of the COVID remote work and flexibility has been to go into this 24 7 mode. And that basically leads to gender inequalities because so often, women and particularly women of color have other time constraints. And so I love that. I think that's going to be also really important for how we change how work happens is to be rewarding different things. Because at the moment we really are, and I'm not talking about hourly wages, but we are in these sort of corporate desk jobs, we're still rewarding hours worked. And so more hours is what gets you that merit review versus, okay, what are the contributions you are making in the hours that you're giving?
1: Yeah. Isn't it so funny? There was a quote I read recently about productivity and they were talking about how there isn't a single CEO. If you ask them what they wanted between activity or business outcomes, that they would choose activity over outcomes. And yet we focus so much on measuring activities. How many meetings are you in? That's why we have meeting FOMO, right? We want to be there to be seen. And is that really the most important thing? And does that actually drive the outcomes that we want? And what you said was exactly right. What I've seen in my own experience as a leader is that, Focus really drives not just productivity, but creativity, right? Being able to focus and really own a piece of work and be really clear on this is a thing that we're trying to accomplish. Let's get there. There are so many unlocks in that, not just in terms of our ability to be more inclusive, but just like pure business outcomes is better. We know that analogy I really like. The duck swimming on the water, we're under the water. It's just like a lot of movement in the feet as they're trying to like paddle. And on the top, it looks really calm, but you're not really moving anywhere. And it's just lots of activity actually doesn't mean forward movement. And what you're trying to do at the highest level is drive true forward movement and business outcomes. And you're right. A side effect of that is if we aren't just rewarding. Hours worked, total hours worked, we start to make work and make promotions and the ways in which we reward people a lot more inclusive of a broader group of people. I can tell you that once I became a mom, I am so much better at prioritizing my time. Like I am amazed at the things that I can get done in a block of one to two hours now because I know. That if I don't get it done, then when there are two tiny children trying to climb up on mom's body, no way am I going to get that thing complete. And so I've gotten, and so many moms I talk to have gotten so good at prioritization and being really effective, but we aren't being rewarded for that. We aren't being rewarded for getting things done better or faster if we stick with just hours worked as a measuring stick.
0: Thanks so much for listening today. I hope the podcast brings you fresh ideas, renewed confidence, and energy to keep leading change. If you need a partner in these efforts, I can help you effectively build a thriving workplace culture for all. I'll help you overcome the real barriers to change you face every day and help you lead real change with evidence based solutions. In particular, I want to work with passionate leaders who have tried and failed. Because I know you have what it takes, and your experience will help you clearly recognize the difference I can make. For a free consultation today, please visit my website at www.leading-real-change.com. That's www.leadingrealchange.com.
2: Take control, you're a fighter. Push the limits and see it. you're.